Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. y'all showed your age right there there's some over 50s in here don't y'all don't y'all make make light of that y'all know that song you got to be over 50 um no oh well they redid it that's right they released it they re-released it so i'll give you a break um you just don't know the original version do y'all even know what that song's about have you it's about making a decision between two sisters that's what the song is about i know you one had brown eyes one had blue and you had to make a decision which one that, okay i let the cat out of the bag all right so i cut that part out of the song yeah they want you to know about that well we're talking about choosing sometimes you just have to make up your mind uh do you realize this morning that choosing is one of if not the most uh powerful things that sets us apart from the angels and from animals. The fact that as humans, we have the ability to make a decision to choose. It's what separates us from everything else in our in our cre- in creation and in the world and in the universe. We have the ability to make up our minds. See, every day we are faced with a multitude of decisions. In fact, you have to make decisions Minute by minute, second by second. During the course of your life, if you stop and think about the number of decisions or choices that you have to make, it can blow your mind. You, you know, you have, to, you have to decide like this, what will I wear today? That was a choice you made this morning. Some of you, some of you made a good choice, and, um, and then you have to make, de- I'm playing, I'm playing. So, some of you have to make a decision about, at work, you have to make this decision. What will I laugh at and what won't I laugh at? You have to make that decision. It's a conscious decision that you have to go through. You have to make decisions like this. How will I respond? When somebody does this to me, how will I react? How will I respond? It's a decision. It's a choice that you have to make. Will I ignore? Will I let it go? So, how about, will I stay? Or will I go now? Now, that's a different song. Will I stay now? Y'all heard that one too. Will, will I stay or will I go? That, that's a decision that you have to make. You, you know, you might even have to make this decision. Will I select regular or will I select decaf? You know, that's a, for some of you, that's a huge decision every day, I, you know, every morning. November is a month of decisions. Now, let me just stop right this right now and, and say this is not a part of my message, but I just want to interject this. On Tuesday, you've got to make a decision. And I don't want you to make a decision based upon whether you're a Republican or whether you're a Democrat. I don't give a rip. I want you to make a decision based on whether you're a Christian. I want you to go home, get on the Internet, and figure out who, which candidate 
most correctly and closely lines up with Scripture and then make your choice. Because, you know, the truth is, is it doesn't really matter. God is still in control. But you still have a choice to make. And so I want you to use that choice wisely. You have to choose to choose. For instance, how many of you went to Sonic this week? Come on, be honest. Okay, a few, few of you. Did you know, see, my mom goes to Sonic every day, and she doesn't have much of a choice because she, she already has her choice made before she goes. But when you arrive at Sonic, you have to make a decision. You have to choose because you got to figure out what are you going to drink because Sonic boasts that they have 168,894 drink combinations that you, can, you get to choose from. So you're sitting there at the little kiosk thingy, the drive through thingy, and you have to make up your mind. Well, if you went online to purchase a book this week from Barnes & Noble, you had to make up a mi- your mind. Because did you know that they offer over a million books online? That's 35 miles of continuous shelving is what they offer you to select from. That's uh, 40,000 or 15,000 publishers, 40,000 videos, and they, they have a million audio clips online for you to choose from. You have to make up your mind. It's difficult to decide what book you want to get because did you know in the last year that was reported in 2005 that there were 172,000 books published in 2005? You have to make up your mind. That's just in America, by the way. We have to make decisions. Well, when we go into Scripture, when you pick up a Bible and you begin to read your Bible, you have to make a choice. You have to choose how you're going to look at Scripture. For instance, you can read the Bible and say, you know, I'm just going to look at at Scripture, and it's just going to be, I'm going to choose that I'm going to look at it just as history. Or you may look at your Bible and say, you know, what I'm going to do is I choose to read Scripture as as a revelation of what ancient culture was like, and that's all it is to me. Or one way that we never really think about looking at Scripture is this. We can choose to look at Scripture as a study of people's choices. Because if you open up Scripture, what you come to find out is that in reality what the Bible is, is it is a huge collection of how people choose and the decisions that they make. For instance, Abraham had to choose to leave his country. For instance, the, uh, David had to make a choice, am I or am I not going to remain faithful to my, my wife or am I going to commit adultery? Or the three Hebrew children had to make up their mind, am I going to bow down to the, the idol or am I going to refuse to bow down? Or you can go into the New Testament and read about the disciples and discover that they had to make a choice, will I lay my nets down and follow Christ or I, will I continue in this career path for the rest of my life? Those choices sound familiar to the choices we have to make. For instance, will I go to college and away from my family, and will I go on this particular job and move away? It's that leave your country choice. Or who will I marry, and once I marry them, will I remain faithful to them? That's that balcony battle that you have to make a choice in. Or will I bow down to this culture and to this generation and what they say is right? It's the same battles that they faced, we, we face. Or will I choose to do this job? It, it's choices. See, we are faced with all kinds of choices. Some of the choices that we face are easy choices. Some of them are silly choices, like what shoes you were going to wear this morning. Some of them are meaningless choices. Some of them, are, although, are life-altering choices. And that's what I want us to do over the course of November. I want us to look at four areas in life 
where we have choices to make that I believe they are absolutely life-altering. If you will make the right decision, if you will make the right choice, if you will choose the right path in these areas, it will not only change your life, it will change the lives of those that you are in relationship with. I want us to look at these four areas. See, I think the problem with the four areas that we're going to talk about over the next month is this. I think for most, most of us, the issue is that we are more like James chapter 1, verse 8. We're more like the double-minded man. The Bible says that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. The Message Bible says it like this. The Message Bible says that uh, this type of individual keeps all their options open. And then it goes on as a kind of a caveat. It says, but they are adrift at sea. And what I want to say to you this morning is that we cannot stand for you to be double-minded in these areas. We cannot, we cannot survive if you are double-minded in these areas. We need you to, to make up your mind because the Bible says very clearly if you are double-minded, you won't just be unstable in that area. You will be unstable in every area of your life. The four decisions that we make this month that we say, I chose to do that. I made up my mind to do that. If you don't choose the right way, it will affect the rest of your life and you will be unstable. And so I want us to begin this morning. I want to challenge you this morning that the very first choice that we must make is one of the hardest choices we will ever make. I want to challenge you this morning that, that I've already talked to the worship team and told them that when we begin to talk about this particular subject and this, this particular uh, area of our Christian walk, that what happens is that walls go up. And resistance goes up because one of the greatest choices and one of the most difficult choices that we have to make as Christian and walking in relationship with Christ is this. We must choose to forgive. We don't like that. So one of the most crucial choices that you have to make as a believer, and I believe it is one of the choices that we most often fail in, is to choose to forgive. This for you for having me over today. Got a gift for me? Is it money? No. <laughs> That's a poem. Yeah. Can't see it without my glasses. Why don't you read it for me? No, I'd rather you read it, please. Who will cry for the little boy, lost and all alone? Who will cry for the little boy, abandoned without his own? Who will cry for the little boy, he cried himself to sleep? Who will cry for the little boy, who he never had for keeps? Who will cry for the little boy, who walked the burning sand? Who will cry for the little boy, the boy inside the man? Who will cry for the little boy, who knew well hurt and pain? Who will cry for the little boy who died and died again? Who will cry for the little boy? A good boy he tried to be. Who will cry for the little boy who cries inside of me? Who will cry for the little boy, Antoine? I will. I always do.
beautiful, Antoine. I know, I told you I was good. Yes, you are. You are good because you're honest. Mm. You're more honest than most people, even in your anger. The only thing you're not honest with yourself about is you need to find your own family, your natural family. I feel like I need to look for them. Mm -hmm. That answer a lot of questions for you. I don't have any questions. You're upset with it because you feel they didn't come to your rescue. Maybe they didn't know. How could they not have known? That's a question you need to ask them. Regard without ill will despite an offense. That's Webster's definition of forgiveness. Why do I have to forgive? To free yourself. So that you can get on with your life. Antoine Fisher was born in prison to a teenage mother. They instantly made him the award of the state of Ohio. They took him out of that prison setting and they gave him to a foster mom who raised him for the next couple of years. But the state in all of its wisdom decided that this foster mom and that Antoine were too attached. And so they decided to step in after she'd had him for two years and had taken, her, taken him as her own. And they put him in another foster home where the, for the next 12 years he suffered unspeakable abuse I don't, I don't even I can't you can watch the movie if you want to what they did to him was unthinkable unfathomable they they treated him like a dog this movie goes on and chronicles how Antoine after he became a teenager when he got to they got to age he he got out of that foster home and he joined the Navy hoping to find himself and he ran into this counselor played by Denzel Washington and then this, this counselor began to confront him about the, the hard feelings and the, the hurt things that he'd gone through and finally after months and months of counseling he dealt with his anger and he goes back and he finds his original family and he, deal, he wrote this poem called Who Will Cry for the Little Boy? Antoine Fisher is now uh, a national bestseller. In fact, his collection of poetry entitled Who Will Cry for the Little Boy is one of the best all-time selling books of poetry in the history of America. He dealt with the forgiveness and you heard what the counselor said because what the counselor said is valuable instructions for us as believers too. He said you've got to free, you've got to forgive so that you can free yourself. We've got to free ourselves. The truth is, is that although you may have never had a movie made about the pain and the hurt and the heartache that you endured, maybe you never will have a movie made about what happened to you. The truth is this morning, like it or not, we will all be hurt. We will all be offended. There will come a moment, if you haven't already endured it, let me just warn you in advance, there is coming a day where somebody will do you wrong. They will deal you a bad hand. They will treat you like they shouldn't have treated, treated you, and you will find yourself in a painful place and what I want to challenge you to this morning whether you've already been there or whether you're there now or whether you're going to be there one day the way what I want to say to you this morning and challenge you is this you must forgive in fact C.S. Lewis said it like this he said we all agree that forgiveness is a beautiful idea until we have to practice it then we don't like it so much. 
We're kind of like the two little boys, Harry and James. Harry and James were outside playing one day, brothers, and they were they were doing sword fights. Y'all remember like y'all did that when y'all were little? You'd find sticks out off of a tree and you'd make believe that you're pirates or whatever, and you'd get the sticks out and you'd begin to battle. In the course of their battle, Harry accidentally hit James and hit him harder than he intended to. And James began to cry and they begin to blame one another. It's your fault. No, it's your fault. You were swinging too hard. No, you were swinging too hard. That that argument continued all day. And even continued to the time when their mom began to tuck them into bed. They slept in the same room and, and in bed, bunk beds and she tucked them in and they're still arguing. You did it. No, you did it. It's your fault. And all this stuff. And finally the mom comes to this place where she says this. She asked them the, this question. She said, boys, what's going to happen if you die tonight and never have a chance to forgive one another? And they both kind of got real quiet and kind of began to nod their head. Until finally James said this. He spoke up and he said, you know, you're right, Mom. So I will forgive him tonight. But if we're both alive in the morning, he better watch out. <laughs> and he all read that story and I started laughing and thinking about my own life and my own relationship with my sister at times. And there were, there were evenings I, I was like, she better watch out in the morning. And I suddenly realized, you know what, that's how we do as Christians. We come to church and we, we experience God and we know that we should be for, forgivers. But the reality is what we do is we do the things that Christians do. And in the back of our mind, we go, if Jesus doesn't come back in the morning, by in the morning, they better watch out. See, what I've discovered is this, is that, that forgiveness is one of those areas that we ignore more than any other area of our life. We are extremely good at receiving grace. We are inept at giving grace. We don't like to forgive. We, we, we are unforgiving people. In fact, I have come to the conclusion that Christians can hold grudges better than anybody else. I don't understand that, but right now most of you could take me back 30 years and say, do you remember when so-and-so did such-and-such -such at that place at that time, and you can take me to the building and the pew where somebody did you wrong? We like to hold grudges. The only problem with that is this, Jesus attacked unforgiveness. In fact, I would say to you this morning that Jesus was brutal when he dealt with the concept of unforgiveness. He attacked it in three ways. First of all, Jesus attacked unforgiveness in his preaching. If you go into the New Testament and you read, Jesus was constantly dealing with an attitude of unforgiveness. In fact, in, I want to read this parable that he talked about in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Listen carefully. It says, at that point, Peter got up the nerve to ask, Master, how many times do I forgive a brother or a sister who hurts me? Seven? And Jesus replied, seven? Hardly. Try 70 times seven. Then he tells this parable. He says this, the kingdom of God, what he's saying is this is how church, this is how the body is supposed to operate. This is how the kingdom of God is supposed to operate. The kingdom of God is like a king who decided to square accounts with his servants. As he got underway, one servant was brought before him who had run up a debt of $100,000. He couldn't pay up. So the king ordered the man along with his wife, children, and goods to be auctioned off at the slave market. The poor wretch threw himself at the king's feet and begged, give me a chance and I'll pay it all back. Touched by his plea, the king let him off, erasing the debt. The servant was no sooner out of the room when he came up on one of his fellow servants who owed him $10. And he seized the, the other servant by the throat and demanded, pay up now. 
The poor wretch threw himself down and begged, give me a chance and I'll pay it all back. But he wouldn't do it. He had him arrested and put in jail until the debt was paid. When the other servants saw this going on, they were outraged and brought a detailed report to the king. By the way, let me just mention to you this. Other people can tell when you don't have forgiveness in your heart. You can't hide it. You can worship all you want to. You can raise your hands when you want to. You can buck and shout and snort and stomp and do all the things that we do as Christians. But the reality is is that people around you can tell when you have no forgiveness in your heart. The servants could tell it. So the king summoned the one man and said, You evil servant, I forgave your entire debt when you begged me for mercy. Shouldn't you be compelled to be merciful to your fellow servant who asked for mercy? The king was furious and he put the screws to the man until he paid back his entire debt. And that's exactly what my Father in heaven is going to do to each of you who doesn't forgive unconditionally anyone who asks for mercy. I just read that parable to you out of the Message Bible. But let me just bring the severity to you even stronger. Because in the King James Bible, uh, the Message Bible chooses to interpret the debt as $100,000. However, the King James says it this way. It says the king, uh, the the servant owed the king 10,000 talents. Let let, let me explain that. A single talent, a single silver talent represented 6,000 days wages. So therefore... In other words, the man owed the king about 60 million days of work. 240,000 years of labor. A person that made $100 a day would, own the, would owe the king $6 billion. And in, Jesus was using this parable to show you that there was no way on God's green earth that this guy could ever pay it back. And so that's how severe it was. But then it says that the servant was owed by another servant 100 pence. A pence was about a day's wages. In other words, this servant owed this other servant 100 days' wages. He could make, in fact, he, in this parable, it says that he put him in jail until he paid it all back. It didn't take him as long. 100 days' wages compared to 60 million days' wages. Jesus was attacking the spirit of unforgiveness in his preaching. He was basically saying this, forgotten grace, hear me, if you don't catch anything else this morning, catch this, forgotten grace breeds unforgiving living. Hear me this morning, you're all nice and pretty right now. But the truth is is that most of us sitting in this place, in fact, all of us sitting in this place, have been been forgiven unbelievable debt. We owed a debt we could not pay. We would never be able to pay it back. I would never be good enough. I would never be holy enough. I would never be righteous enough. I owed more than I could ever pay. And what Jesus is saying is those of you that have been forgiven like that, you, you owe it to everybody else to be somebody that gives grace grace but the truth is is that we become petty and we remember every wrong so so we try to hold people hostage well i won't forgive them and it'll make them feel bad no it won't makes you feel bad well well, pastor steve didn't you catch the loophole the the loophole says that i I read it to you the last verse says you've got to give grace to unconditionally to anyone who asks for mercy so there's the loophole they haven't asked me to forgive them and therefore i'm off the hook 
I'm okay. They never knew they did, did anything wrong. They didn't come and beg me forgiveness. So Jesus let me off the hook. Oh, really? Jesus preached this, this uh, very important message. It was called the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he again attacks unforgiveness. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, listen to this. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Good, do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. And then later in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 through 15, he says, in prayer there is a connection between what God does and what you do. You Listen, you can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. If you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. Whether they, they ever ask forgiveness or not, we are obligated to forgive them because we have been forgiven so much. We cannot as believers, as Christians, little Christ, we cannot continue to walk around with grudges and hard feelings and hate and anger towards what somebody did to us so many years ago or last week or yesterday or what they did to us this morning on the way to church. We can't live like that. Why? Why was unforgiveness such an essential part of what Jesus attacked? Because, because you need to understand that Jesus didn't just attack forgiveness in his preaching. He attacked it in his practice. Do you understand that Jesus wasn't like one of us? We're our you know how we are as parents, uh, do as I say, not as I do. But Jesus wasn't like that. Jesus practiced unforgiveness. I could take you to a bunch of different accounts in his life. For instance, I could take you back to the, the garden where he's praying and the, the arresting forces show up and Peter whips out his sword and cuts off the ear. And Jesus practiced unforgiveness. He reaches out and rather than striking the, the finishing blow to that soldier, he reaches out in forgiveness and heals the man's ear, the one that had come to arrest him. I could take you to the cross where Jesus came into contact with a thief who reviled him and cursed him, but in the middle of all that suddenly realized, I'm talking bad about the wrong man. And Jesus, will you please forgive me and let me into your kingdom when you get there? And Jesus offers unforgiveness. I could take you to that same cross when Jesus looks down at Roman soldiers who are killing him, who are mocking him, who are making fun of him. And he says this famous prayer, Father, forgive them. For they know he was a man of forgiveness. But one of the ultimate places of forgiveness that I found in the scripture, I'd never looked at it like this before until this week, and I started reading it. I read it to you a couple weeks ago, in fact. It's the story of two disciples walking down a road called Emmaus. And the Bible says that they were talking back and forth about what they had just witnessed. They just witnessed their Savior, their, their Messiah, crucified on a cross. And they begin to recount all the things that had taken place. And Jesus shows up. The problem is they don't know it's Jesus. And they begin to talk about what's happening. And they think that Jesus must have been living under a rock. Because they're talking about all the things that had just happened. And Jesus said, what things? Go back and read that for yourself. What things? Was Jesus just playing stupid? I mean, he had just been whipped. He had just been spit upon. He just had a crown of thorns slammed down on his head. He had just been laid down until on a cross and nails driven into his hand. He had just had a spear stuck in his side. He had died, and now he's playing stupid and said, What things? Let me tell you my attitude. If I'd have been Jesus, I'd have shown up that day. And when they begin to recount the things, I would have chimed in and said, you don't even know the half of it, buddy. It was worse than you even think it was. Those thorns hurt. That spear didn't feel good. When they spit on me, it grossed me out. I didn't like hanging on the cross. It was painful. But I, I would have recounted all it. But Jesus said, what things? 
May I say to you that I think what had happened, the Bible says that God cast all of our iniquities as far as the east is to the west. I think it is the ultimate description of Jesus' practice of being forgiving. I think in that moment he's saying, I can't even remember what you're talking about. What are you, you're going to have to tell me again. What did they do to me? I, have, I can't remember what they, well, come on now, that, I, my prayer this morning is that we'll get that mindset. You, you remember when I talked bad about you? What things? Huh? You remember when I cut you off in track? What are you talking about? You remember when I, I betrayed your trust and did you wrong? What are you talking about? That's the attitude. That's the mindset that we must take on as Christians. Jesus practiced forgiveness. But Jesus also attacked forgiveness in his people. Jesus, Peter's sitting there in the room and he stands up and he asks Jesus this question. How many times do I have to forgive my brother and sister? Seven? Now you need to understand something. Peter has already gone way above the call of duty as far as the Jews were concerned. In fact, the Jews had a belief that God only forgives three times. How many of you are glad that's not the case? And so Peter, is, he's manning up. I mean, he is, he is going extra mile here. Jesus, I'll forgive seven times. And Jesus attacks unforgiveness in Peter's life. And he says, no, 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 Peter. Seventy times seven. And he got his calculator in and out and said, okay, 490 times, that's all I, no, 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 no. Jesus is saying you've got to go be above and beyond where you've ever even been in your mind before. I am asking you to not do addition grace. I'm asking you to get involved in multiplied grace. I'm asking you to get involved in unrelenting grace. I'm asking you to get, get involved in unending grace where every time they do you wrong, every time they betray you, if they keep doing it, burn me once, shame on you, burn me twice, no, 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 get ready of that attitude. I'm asking you to quit keeping score. Turn the other cheek. Let it go. That's what he's saying. Why should we forgive? Why was Jesus so hard on unforgiveness? Jesus was so brutal on unforgiveness because he knew that unforgiveness produces physical and emotional and spiritual results in us. How many of you know that unforgiveness can affect you physically and emotionally? In fact, did you know that there's a new science just a few years ago that was, that was being studied called forgiveness research? I think that's cool. Forgiveness research. Doctors begin to get together with scientists and they begin to study the implications for us if we refuse to forgive. What they discovered, one Stanford University doctor discovered this, that resentment causes high blood pressure and a faster heart rate, which in turn causes heart problems. And isn't that what unforgiveness is? A heart problem. Another doctor said it like this. This was his, his findings. He said, forgiveness will affect your immune function and your cardio function, your heart rate, your blood pressure. Listen to this. It will increase the stress hormone that causes the body to store fat. In other words, I'm asking you, I'm, I'm trying to help you on your diet. If you would just forgive somebody, you might lose some weight. All right, it's better than going to the gym. It's better than running 92 laps. All you've got to do is forgive somebody this morning. You'll start losing weight because it reduces the stress hormone, right, that causes us to store fat, physical implications. So then they begin to study, well, how does it affect us emotionally? And I think this was really interesting. They did a, a survey recently. They, they took 200 married couples, and they began to survey them, and they asked them how important was forgiveness in the relationship. How did it affect them emotionally? Come on, bump your husband or your wife here sitting next to you. You say, you need to listen to this. All right? Here's how it affected them. They, 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 they discovered that there's a huge relationship between marriage satisfaction and forgiveness. 
In fact, what they found is that it appears that as much of one-third of marriage satisfaction is based and related on forgiveness. In other words, you'll be more satisfied with your spouse if they forgive you. That's pretty interesting. They went on and they discovered this, that, that as they forgave, that there was less personal emotional distress. As forgiveness went up, the reports were that they had, these individuals had fewer symptoms of depression and anxiety and fatigue. There are physical and emotional implications if you don't forgive. But there are also spiritual implications. The spiritual implications are very blunt and very, very straightforward this morning. And I want you to catch these because this is where some of us are living. And I am challenging you this morning to make a conscious decision. Choose. That's why our shirts say, I chose instead of I choose. Because we are making a statement that I chose this Sunday morning, November the 2nd, 2008, that from this moment forward, I chose to forgive. Why? Because there are spiritual implications. The first one is this. If we refuse to forgive, it cuts us off from our forgiveness. I read that to you already out of Matthew chapter 6, and you can go into Mark chapter 11 and discover that if we refuse to forgive, God refuses to forgive us. Pray all you want to. Fast all you want to. God will not go against his word. Spend 96 hours on your knees until they bleed, saying, God, please forgive me. I've done you wrong. But until the moment comes where you will forgive the person that did you wrong, you are cut off from forgiveness, black and white. That's not, hey, don't look at me like that. I didn't write that. God wrote that. This is the way his kingdom works. Forgiveness begets forgiveness. The second thing it does is it cuts us off from answers. How many of you need an answer from God? I need God to answer some things in my life. You may need provision right now. You, need me, you may need healing right now. Can I just say to you that there's a very good chance it may be related to whether or not you're willing to forgive? Because when we lack forgiveness and we refuse to forgive those that have done us wrong, our prayers are interrupted and there's a barrier between us and God. Can I prove it to you? Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 through 24. Jesus is talking and he says this, This is how I want you to conduct yourself in these matters. If you enter your place of worship and you are about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you. Abandon your offering. Leave immediately. Go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then. Then and only then. Come back and work things out with God. Can I tell you this morning, if there's unforgiveness in your heart towards somebody, answers are cut off. That's why when you pray, it feels like there's a brass ceiling over your head. That's why you pray you don't feel like you're really talking to anybody. That's why you've been just travailing over the same issue. I need an answer. I need an answer. Go back and find out if there's some unforgiveness in your life because unforgiveness cuts off your answers. The third thing that unforgiveness does is it cuts us off from those that we love. I took you into that parable, and the Bible says that when the king brought that evil servant before him in the very first instance, he says, you know what, because you have been or because you owe me such a great debt, I will throw not only you, but your whole family into slavery. Think about that now. And he owes $6 billion. I don't know if that would put your family in bondage, but that would put my family in bondage. 
I don't know if that would have any effect not only on my wife. Uh, you may not, maybe you got $7 billion in the bank, and it won't hurt you much. But I'll tell you right now, if I was $6 billion in debt all of a sudden, it would do more than just impact my wife. It would impact my children and my children's children. So my question to you this morning is, how are, you, how are your family, how is your family, your children being affected by unforgiveness? Who else is in bondage because you're in bondage? Come on now, let's, play, let, let's quit playing church and be honest. How many of you, when you drive by that place where that person did you wrong, with your kids in the back seat, you constantly recount, well, in 1978, I took my car there and they ripped me off. And instantly, the unforgiveness in your heart is transferred to the unforgiveness in the hearts of your children. And 50 years from now, your children will drive by the same place and go, your grandpa was ripped off 50 years ago, right? I can't go to that church. That pastor did me wrong. They talked about me. They didn't help me when I needed help. That, that sister that sat next to me on the pew made a snarling face at me one time. And I can't go back there. And your children's children begin to look for snarling faces next to them. Who in your life is in bondage because you're in bondage? Unforgiveness cuts us off from the ones we love. The, the reason that forgiveness is so important is because forgiveness is an act of faith. How? Because you have to have enough faith that God is a better justice keeper than you are. You've got to come to the place where you go, you know what, God, I believe that you can deal with injustice and wrong better than I can. In fact, I will give up my right to be right, and I will put it in your hand, and I'll say, God, you work this out. I don't know how to work this out. I release this and relinquish my right to be mad and to be hurt and to be upset. And now I place it all in your hands, and I say, God, I depend on you. You work it out, and I'll let the chips fall where they may. That is an act of faith. See, we just don't have much faith in God. God can't work it out like we can work it out. If I'm mean back to him, it'll be better because I'm meaner than God is. Really? Go back and read through Scripture how mean God can be to those that attack His children. Plagues and locusts and leprosy and snakes and frogs and gnats and blood in their water. God is a pretty good judge. We have to choose to be people of faith and say, God, I'll let you deal with it. The other thing I want to say to you this morning is that forgiveness is a choice for freedom. There's a powerful quote that I think is so pertinent to where we are this morning. Stormy O. Martian said this. She said, forgiveness doesn't make the other person right. It makes you free. I am not saying to you this morning that what they did didn't matter. I am not saying to you that the hurt that you have endured should be diminished. I am not saying to you that this morning that, that what they did was right. All I am saying to you is that when you choose to forgive, you have instantly made a choice for freedom. See, the truth is this morning is that I related to you last week that Jesus came to make us free. But the reality for us as believers is this, is that Jesus can set us free in our soul and we can refuse to walk into freedom. You know that legend has it that the only jail cell that Houdini could never escape from was the jail cell that was unlocked. 
Legend has it that they put him in the jail cell and said, do your thing. And when they all left the room, he whipped out the little metal piece that he kept in his belt and he began to work on the door. And two hours later, he was exhausted, sweat running down his face. He couldn't get it worked out. He thought, man, I've finally been whipped. And he finally sat down and put his back up against the door. And when he did, it swung open because it was unlocked. And what I want to say, hear me this morning, what I want to say to you is this. Jesus has unlocked your cell. If you've come into relationship with him and say, God, I, I need you as a Savior. Jesus, come into my heart. I accept you as my Savior, my Messiah. I want to come into relationship with you. He has set you free. But some of us choose to continue to live in bondage because we won't forgive. We will not forgive. There's a story about Thomas Edison that when he was working on the light bulb, that after he, he gathered a team of men together, a large team of men, and they began to work on this, this newfangled idea called the light bulb. And he had slaved over it, and his team had slaved over it for 24 straight hours. They took no break. They didn't go to Starbucks. They worked hard for 24 straight hours. And finally, after 24 hours, they, they accomplished this great work of science and this great feat, and they had produced a light bulb. And Thomas Edison took that light bulb, and he handed it to a young boy and said, Take it upstairs. And you can imagine what happened. That little boy is looking at that light bulb and he realizes it's a priceless work of art. And he begins to walk up the stairs. The only problem is he's watching the bulb instead of watching where he's going. And he slowly makes himself, makes his way up the steps. And right when he gets to the top step, he drops it and it shatters. So Thomas Edison and his, his entire team go right back to work. 24 more straight hours without a break. They build another one. They get it all right. They get it completed. Guess what Thomas Edison did? Picked the bulb up, turned around, and handed it right back to the same little boy. And what I want to say to you this morning is that some of you need to go back and put the bulb back in their hands. Some of you have people in your life that have devastated you. I don't want to diminish your pain this morning. Some of you have gone through unspeakable, unthinkable things. Some of you have parents that never, they, they raised their hand, but they never revealed their heart. Some of you have friends that have betrayed your trust. You thought you could count on them until the cows came home. But what you discovered is that they betrayed you and they did you wrong. Some of you have loved somebody. And in the midst of that deep-seated love, when you thought you were committed till death do us part, they turned their back on you and walked away. And I'm asking you this morning to make a choice to release them and to release yourself and find freedom. Some of you need to forgive God this morning because some of you feel like he didn't show up when you thought he was supposed to. Some of you thought, man, if you'd have just done, like we talked about last week, if you'd have just done what you say, if you would have just honored your word, if you'd have just been on time, I wouldn't have had to go through what my kids wouldn't be acting like nuts and my family wouldn't be torn up and my life wouldn't be in disarray. But, but now, God, I'm mad at you because you didn't do what you said to do and we need to forgive God. Hear me this morning. Some of you need to forgive the person you looked at in the mirror this morning. You look at the mirror and you go, Man, I thought I was doing better. I thought I was strong enough. I thought I was righteous enough. I thought my life had changed, and I keep, keep making the same mistake, and I've let my own self down. And so now you find yourself in this place where you don't like yourself, and you can't seem to forgive yourself. Hear me this morning. You may not have had a choice in what happened to you, but you have a choice 
in whether or not you will forgive. It is the choice that separates us. Choosing is the power, the privilege, the honor that we have as God's greatest creation, if you will. It is the one thing that sets us apart. For You have a choice. You can make up your mind to let it go and trust God. I want you to stand with me this morning. As I mentioned, I spoke to the worship team about this. We don't like to talk about unforgiveness. Christians are so good at hiding grudges. And we let our unforgiveness cause bondage in our own life. Look at me. Look at me. I'm challenging you this morning. Make a choice. Make a choice. I didn't ask for permission to do this. They can ground me later. To the people that I know that have operated in this principle better than anybody I know is my mom and dad. You, you don't know their story. I do. My mom and dad's dads both walked out on them. I know my dad was, what, seven, nine, and I'm not sure how old my mom She was eight. Walked out. I'm going to tell you, if my dad walked out on me, I'd have problems with that. I'd be angry. I can still remember. I don't even remember how old I was. I think I was in baseball because I couldn't go. My dad took my sister, and they went to California and found his dad. Hadn't seen him, I think, in 20-something years. No relationship at all. Why? So forgiveness could produce freedom. I sense no bitterness. There's no bitterness there. You know what they did? They made a choice that they weren't going to be what their dads were. If somebody did you wrong, make a choice this morning. Choose to forgive them and not do what they did. You can walk in freedom this morning. It's based largely on how you respond in forgiveness. I want to pray over you and then we're going to pray for each other. Because I think we need to make a choice. Hard choice, yeah. Painful, yeah. Necessary, yeah. Father, how grateful and blown away I am by your grace. You could have walked away. If there was ever a dad that could have walked away, you could walk away. Because we're undeserving. And the truth is, we will never deserve your grace. How thankful I am for your great grace. And Father, what I'm asking you to do this morning is that those that have received such great grace would in turn offer grace. Do surgery on our hearts this morning. God, I pray that you would attack the unforgiveness in your people just like you did in the life of your disciples. Attack the unforgiveness of our life. If any of us are harboring grudges or hard feelings, whether the people that we're mad at are in this room or not, if we have to go home and pick up the phone, if we have to go home and get out a piece of paper and write the letter that says, I forgive you. You never asked me for forgiveness, but I offer it anyway freely. I give it to God. God, whatever we got to do, to be set free uncover that hurt place 
that abandoned. Father, there are folks in this room that feel abandoned. Take us back to that abandoned place for a moment and let us once and for all not only forgive, but take on the mind of Christ and say, what things? What things? What are you talking about? Set us free, oh God. In Jesus' name. If you're here this morning, you say, Pastor Steve, I've gone through some bad things. Somebody did me wrong. I can take you back to the day. I can take you to the moment. And the Bible says that, 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 that Paul writes and he says, if you're not careful, a root of bitterness can rise up in you. And you'd say, Pastor Steve, I don't want to be bitter. And I don't want this bitterness to produce in me any fruit. And I want to relinquish it once and for all. I'm challenging you this, this morning to make a choice. Take a step of faith. Take a step for forgiveness. If that's you, quickly, I just want you to step out. We're going to stand here together and we're going to say as a declaration, I have chosen this morning. To, if you need to forgive, you've been hurt. You've been done wrong. You've been talked bad about. You've been abandoned. You've been abused. You've been broken. You've been neglected. Somebody just made you mad. And you've harbored it as a grudge this morning. Quickly, it takes a step of faith. Come on, step out. Is there anyone? Come on, we've got one. Is anybody else bold enough to say, yeah, I've been carrying this thing around for a long time. And I'm ready to operate in freedom. They may have meant to hurt me, but I mean to forgive them. Once and for all. choice this morning a choice for freedom come on I want you to get your hands outstretched I'm going to pray over these we're going to believe this God is going to do surgery this morning come on prayer partners if you'll come you'll do surgery this morning God you'll cut this out once and for all don't leave because we're going to do something to end this together but we're going to pray and I believe that God is getting ready to set somebody free that harbored thing is now going to become a place of forgiveness and freedom. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, God, I pray that forgiveness would overtake my heart and my spirit. God, every area that I've been broken in would be gone in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.